Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 312 of your Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Redefining Wellness, an interview with Dr. Jabin Moore. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, one of the reasons I enjoyed episode number 312 with Dr. Jabin Moore is it's given me a great deal of hope. I often get sad and in some cases depressed about the challenges that so many of you are facing on your Lyme disease journeys. And the people who give me the most hope that we're going to be able to get through this crisis are people just like Dr. Jabin Moore, who had Lyme disease as a young person, overcame the challenge with Lyme disease and turned that experience into a passion for healing others. And Dr. Jabin Moore is doing great work in the Lyme disease community. Not only are you going to learn exactly what Dr. Jabin Moore did to overcome his chronic Lyme disease, but he's going to talk to you about his really difficult patients and what he's learned to look at and overcome to address a wide variety of diverse and complicated chronic Lyme cases. So folks, we're really excited to introduce to you Dr. Jabin Moore. Hey, Dr. Moore, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. We are really excited to have you. We've been uh, fans of yours for a long time, so we're glad we've finally been able to uh, get together and have a conversation that will uh, help the folks in the Lyme disease community. So let's begin with your background, Dr. Moore. I, I understand that you're a DC or a doctor of chiropractic. Is, uh, is that your, your, um, the basis of your doctor, or do you have some other, um, some other degrees as well? So that is the basis of my doctor. I, I definitely went to, to school, got my degrees in pre-med and then exercise physiology, got my master's in biomechanics, thought I was going to do sports, went to chiropractic school because it just fit what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with athletes. I wanted to help athletes stay on the field versus, uh, you know, at one point I, I wanted to go medical. I wanted to be a, a sports medicine doc, but I just realized sports medicine docs are usually at the end of people's careers. I wanted to be able to keep people on the field, go to chiropractic school, and then uh, a couple of years in, I get hit with fatigue and brain fog and pain. And the worst one as a, as a young male, erectile dysfunction. And I was just like, what is this? Which to all the men listening, that drives you straight to trying to figure things out. And uh, with yes, no, answers from, no answers from anybody anywhere, you know, that's the beginning of my Lyme journey. Right, but let's let's walk it back a little bit because uh, I do want to talk about the prism uh, that your education has allowed you to look through and why you've taken that approach. But my understanding is that you you were actually um, you were actually somebody who grew up with a parent who had a chronic illness, and that's part of what drove you to the medical community. So talk to us about the experiences you had with watching your mother and the challenges that she was facing as as someone who's facing uh, chronic illness. Yeah, so uh, I was a screw up as a kid, just to put it frankly. I spent almost every day in the principal's office. I think it was partially because I was just bored. I was um, I was pretty decent at like math and science. And then I just get bored and I'd act out. I was I was always in trouble. Coming in about 10 years old, my mom looked me in the eyes. And she said, I think I'm going to die. And you need to step up because your dad's dyslexic. He barely finished school. He's a construction worker. Not that there's anything wrong. He's, he's, he is one of the guys that I look up to in this world because he is just such a hard worker and he'll do anything it takes to take care of his family. But balancing the checkbook was really hard for him. So she's like, you got to step up. And this was because her health had declined so far. She was taking 40 different pills of medication every single day from her doctors. And it was all because of the lack of diagnosis of diabetes, right? So they diagnosed her with thyroid disorder, 
cholesterol issues, blood pressure, depression, thyroid dysfunction, and the list was a mile long. So she had 40 medications, but the one thing they did not do was diabetes. So she gets, she drops me off at school. She leaves. I don't know this until I get picked up late after school. She got hit by a car going down this icy hill here in Missouri, taken to the ER. And fortunately, physically, she was okay. They're checking her out. But they, the doc says, are, are you diabetic? And she goes, no, I'm not diabetic. Uh, he comes back after two more tests and you are diabetic. You need to get this checked out. We're going to do some things for you here. But this is, you know, ER, this is not primary care. Uh, so by that point, she'd gained a hundred pounds was on all those pills and, and she was just fighting. She didn't know if she's going to make it. I mean, she went from doctor to doctor, to doctor, to doctor. They never looked for root cause. I, I look back now and I go, I mean, I wonder what could have been going on at that point. Now, I mean, I was on a podcast a few months ago and I realized maybe a year or two before all of this took place, she had had her wisdom teeth taken out. It was a major issue. I wonder even now. Uh, you know, when I figured this out a couple months ago, I go, Hey mom, we got to get you to bio dentist now. Like there's probably something still going on. She's had thyroid cancer twice now, lymph, lymph node, uh, removal because of the thyroid cancer on the third time. So anyway, I'm getting a whole long story of it, but it drove me straight to going, why would somebody be dealing with this? What is the root cause? How do we better serve patients and clients, give them care where we don't make as many mistakes and we look more deeply at what could be there like Lyme disease, for instance, versus here's a symptom, there's a pill, let's move on. So Dr. Moore, let's talk about now what it was like for you during the entirety of your childhood, watching your mother struggle with chronic illness and being failed by the medical community and how that became the inspiration for you to not only join the medical community, but join it in a very particular way. So give us, give us that piece of your story. Yeah. So, you know, I honestly always thought I wanted to be a doctor growing up, even before all this happened. But as I aged through past 10, where this, this whole thing kind of really hit rock bottom. As I got to high school, I still thought, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. And then I got to college and I realized I won't even take ibuprofen when I'm sore, which is what, you know, your high school coaches tell you to do. Um, it just so, didn't so that's, well, let me Let me ask you to pause there for a second. So when you were saying, I want to be a doctor, you were thinking about being a traditional medical doctor as mm -hmm. opposed to looking at something else on the spectrum. Exactly. That's exactly what I was doing. I was looking at being a traditional medical doctor. Um, but I just kept going back when I got to college, like that is not who I go to when I want something fixed athletically, which is what I was still thinking at the time. Um, that's not who I go to when I'm looking for answers. That's who I go to when it's an emergency. And I don't want to be an emergency doctor. I want to be a doctor that works with people to get them back to health. So quality of quality of life doctor versus a quantity of life doctor. Although, you know, looking at Lyme, some people feel like they're dying. Oftentimes you live a long time feeling horrible. So I wanted to increase quality of life is what it really comes down to. But let's stay there for a second, right? So you watched the traditional medical community fail your mother, quite frankly, right? She was taking scores of pills every single day. She was getting sicker and sicker. Uh, it wasn't until she was in an auto accident and she had a more thorough uh, workup by a more competent medical doctor that they diagnosed her with, uh, with diabetes. And of course, that's a challenging disease that you and I can talk a little bit more about because it's, it's something we have in common. My dad battle diabetes for most of his life. And it was, it was something that he could never, ever overcome. So because you saw the failures of the medical community where they were essentially coming in after the fact, and in many cases, missing 
what it was that you were actually suffering from, no less getting to the root cause and putting you in a position where you can be healthy on a cellular level, you wanted to take a different approach and you, you became a different type of doctor. So talk about how you went from wanting to be a traditional medical doctor after seeing all the failures of that system to now wanting to be a different kind of doctor and how that prism allowed you to have a different perspective first on health generally, and then we'll talk about Lyme disease. Yeah. So, you know, I was saying I didn't want to take medication myself, and that was that was just a, a innate feeling in myself, especially after watching what my mom went through and medication after medication after medication, just not helping. They One medication would then need another medication to support that side effect, to support that side effect, and then it's like, what are we even doing here? So I ended up going to the people that I felt like I trusted because when I went to my chiropractor in high school as an athlete, he would he would look for a cause of a problem and then he would give me something that would hopefully solve the problem more long-term. So that just made sense to me. Um, and then getting into chiropractic school, the philosophy of chiropractic is simple. And I was actually at a, a conference this past weekend with a bunch of medical doctors and we were talking, they're like, well, you look at things differently. I'm like, well, the chiropractic philosophy is this, remove interference, let the body heal. That was the philosophy. It was this simple. And most people think of chiropractors removing a, a bone out of place, but it doesn't say bone out of place. It says remove interference, let the body heal. So when I'm in practice and I got, well, when I was in school and I got Lyme, it's, it's remove Lyme disease, let the body heal. Remove parasites, mold, remove emotional trauma, let the body heal. So when that interference is, is in the body, it doesn't allow the body to innately do what it's supposed to do, which is heal. The body is so amazing and it should heal. And that's the prism that I take into practice of no matter what you bring into my clinic, it does not matter what it is. I'm going to step all the way back and I'm going to go, okay, here's symptoms. What could be causing those symptoms? And, and what order do they come in? What has to be the first step? How do we unravel that so that we can get to the bottom of this so I can get you to your maximum health so that you can be well and have quality of life without long-term medications, without just this label stamped on your forehead that says fibromyalgia or whatever it is. So Dr. Moore, one of the things I developed with uh, one of the guests I interviewed this past weekend was this concept of having an onboard diagnostic system, very much like a car where, you know, our car will tell us what's wrong with it if we plug in uh, the, the proper diagnostic tool, right? We have a very, very sophisticated onboard diagnostic system, and that's what symptoms are, right? So why is it that traditional medical doctors are looking to just give us something to offset the signal rather than getting to the place where we're defining what the signal is telling us so that we can solve that issue? <laughs> Uh, this question was actually asked this week and I was sitting with all these doctors and we were kind of just looking at each other. Somebody goes insurance and I go, Oh yeah. The entire system financially is set up for what a medical standard is and what will be paid for by the medical system. So if you're within the insurance industry, if you're using your insurance and the doctor has to follow whatever the insurance says to do and the order it says to do it, run the test for that. That's covered by that with the treatment by that. And it just leads down this path of you can't think for yourself. You can't innovate. You can't go outside the box. And right now, Lyme disease, as far as the insurances in most places in the United States, are is outside the box. So that's a part of it. And then the other piece is medical doctors are trained to use medications, whether it's in school or whether it's in 
their residencies. It's just, that's the model that's been trained. So they're trained to use medications and they're trained to think acutely first, right? So how do I keep you alive? Not how do I get you well, but how do I keep you alive? So they're trained in acute management, which is their training. So they're, they're experts. If you break your arm, if you have uh, you know, a gunshot wound, if you have something that needs surgery or is emergent, they are experts. And even the specialties that are not supposed to be experts in that, that's where they spent most of their training is to keep you alive, to put you on a medication, to keep you alive so that they can get to the next person. They're overwhelmed. They're undereducated. They're undersupported. So I'm not even mad at medical doctors. It's just, it's just the system that they're in has created this position for them. And that's why you're not seeing chronic conditions because they're not going to kill you quick. Getting the love that the acute conditions are because they will kill you quick. And the whole system set up around acute care, keep people alive, not keeping people well. So a symptom, a symptom is considered an acute illness rather than the onboard diagnostic system telling you there's something wrong with you. And because they are, because they're experts in acute care, they, they are treating a symptom as an acute illness rather than as a signal. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if a symptom's quite the acute care problem, but it's not going to kill you. So they've got to get to the next person that has something that will kill them. And they're giving you something just to, to get you by so that they can save the next life. Okay. And it, it's, it's, and that's kind of how I see it is because they're, they're lifesavers and they just got to get to the next person that needs them because there's just not enough of them. And we're going to spend a little bit more time as we, as we uh, define your personal journey uh, in a little bit more detail. But I, I, we are going to want to talk with you about downstream and upstream uh, medical care and the role that insurance and research plays in that as well and, 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 and generally accepted, acceptable medical practices. But let's pause there for a second. Let's talk about your journey. So um, your personal journey after... Um, you know, witnessing your mother's experience with the traditional medical community brings you to a place where you now want to study healing in a different way. You become a uh, you, you you become a DC, but while you're studying to become a DC, um, and, and you find you discover that you have an illness, which ultimately gets diagnosed with Lyme disease. So, talk to us about the symptoms that you were suffering when you were in chiropractic school, and and how that ultimately became uh, diagnosed as Lyme disease. So, I was dealing with some food allergies. It started off with almonds and then went to berries, dairy, and chicken. Uh, I had a little bit of brain fog. I was starting to hurt in joints. I started having like micro little like injuries, little tears here and there that was causing injury, brain fog. And ultimately it was the erectile dysfunction, honestly, that set me up because everything else is like, I'm getting older. Well, I was like 23, 24, 25, but whatever. I was a college athlete. I'm getting older. I got some, some wear and tear. Those things I for lack of better words, accepted because I just didn't know better. And it was the erectile dysfunction that really triggered me. So I immediately went to friends that were in functional medicine, medicine, because I networked with those people. I was at conferences with those people. I was like, oh, what could this be? They're like, well, you know, medically they're like, you do Viagra, but this just happens to 25 year olds. Sometimes it's just part of it. And, and you know, sorry for your luck. That's you. Um, and then other guys were like, well, you can take a, a large knee and that could do it. Well, your blood sugar is healthy. Your, your blood, blood, um, pressure is healthy. Your cholesterol is healthy. So you're fine. And you don't have a C-reactive protein or uh, anything like that. You're fine. Right. So that, that was a testing that was done. And then when L-arginine failed from the functional medicine side, they're like, well, uh, because your blood sugar, your thyroid, your, your normal hormones, your testosterone level is good. You're fine. Uh, we don't really know. And then after search and search and search and search and asking, I don't even know how many doctors, because like I said, I had access, I had access to 
lots of both sides, conventional and functional. I was sitting at a conference learning and somebody overheard me having a conversation. I said, well, have you ever thought about Lyme disease? And I said, no, I'm intrigued. What do I do for that? Like, oh, I don't know. It's just something we've heard of. And uh, just throwing that out there for you. I'm like, great. Uh, Another, you know, journey down the rabbit hole. Here we go. Let's do this. So I, I start researching and Dr. Alan Lindsley was who was presented to me, a guy up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, who had Lyme disease himself. That was a a uh, functional medicine chiropractor that his dad literally died by not propping up a tractor properly because he was so brain, his brain was so ate out from Lyme that he was just completely with not with it anymore. Guy is a farmer, worked on stuff his whole life, all of a sudden forgets to, to do a few things properly. And then Alan ends up with Lyme disease again, Wisconsin, which is a hotbed for Lyme. Um, his body's falling apart as an engineer that sends him back to functional school or chiro- to chiropractic, but to do functional medicine. And then he figures out the tinctures to build Lyme, Lyme formulas. And then I go up there and two weeks after leaving, all of a sudden stuff starts working again. My brain's coming on, my energy's coming back. My erectile dysfunction is going away, which is a pretty easy thing to get a yes or no question. I'm like, does that work or not? Like I was fortunate in a way where it's like, is this working? Yes or no? Yes, it is working. Okay. Um, so that's kind of my journey through this for a lack of, I don't, I don't even have the word. It's just like this, this minefield of Lyme disease of, of trying to figure it out as a guy that feels like I'm on the inside, right? Like I'm on the inside track. I've got all these experts and still had a hard time finding help. Well, it's also interesting that you were, you were seeing scores of doctors you had you had access to scores of doctors and it never came up until somebody sort of like casually said hey had you ever thought about Lyme disease which is another one of the patterns we see on this podcast that in most cases people are casually diagnosed by someone else who had Lyme disease before they before they get their their diagnosis so talk to us about um about what type of uh diagnostic tools that were used by the doctors that you treated with when you were finally diagnosed with Lyme disease so Dr. Lindsley is definitely more of your, uh, you know, alternative care guy. So he's not going to run a tremendous amount of lab work. He did not trust the CDC test. Uh, we actually have since convinced him to start running some more blood tests as, as, cause we're not peers and friends. I'm like, dude, what you're doing is amazing. Prove it, right? Show the testing, which, so now it's a, a do the testing to prove it's working piece. Um, and also just to get more information, he ran some basic CBC, CMP, did some muscle testing and then did a symptom evaluation. Cause he's like, Lyme disease is basically a symptom assessment back then. And he's like, oh, and if this works, here you go, you're going to get better. And sure enough, like I said, two weeks, it was significantly different. Um, so I didn't go back and have all of the evaluations that I give people now, because honestly, I want them to be able to communicate to their friends, family, GPs, et cetera. And I can do it without that, but I I like to have that testing now also because again, I want people to have something tangible that says, this is what's going on. This is how we're going to, we're going to do some things to work on it. Okay. Now it's gone. So you, that mental clarity, that, that proof in the pudding can help them and communicating with their family. And honestly, communicating with doctors, communicating with the medical community that this is a thing it is positive. It is in every state of the United States because without proof, we're not going to change the paradigm. 
So Dr. Moore, talking about these tools that you now use in your practice to diagnose people and have that evidence, what led you from chiropractic school to starting your own chiropractic clinic to now specializing in treating people with chronic illness and specifically Lyme and tick-borne illnesses? So <laughs> part of this is Alan Lindsley. Uh, you know, when you, when you have a problem and you learn all the, the pieces of the pie to get it better, it, it makes you responsible for sharing that information. With wisdom comes responsibility, at least in of my opinion. So as I went through school, started getting better, and this was honestly right at the end that I finally met Alan, and then I went into practice, I started, I learned his protocol. I learned what he was doing. He's teaching me. And then at the time, virtual doctoring really wasn't a thing. And he goes, well, I've got all these people in Missouri. So he starts referring them to me. So I'm brand new into practice. And he's like, have all these Lyme patients that are extremely complicated with multiple different factors. And that was a trial by fire, but the best one you could have because I didn't have a overloaded practice. I wasn't into a groove or a routine. So my groove and routine became get people that are chronic, figure out how to help them, do the research, call the doctors, figure out what new thing can help this person innovate. And that's how I started. So my start in practice was being referred Lyme patients, even from the docs that I had gone to that were unable to help me that didn't have the tools. They were like, oh, you got better and you you had all these symptoms. We'll send those people to you. We're going to send you your hard cases. That was my beginning. And then it became just a passion. I just love the puzzle that is chronic illness. And I, I don't want people to feel like I think of them as a puzzle, but it is, it is a puzzle. It is a multifaceted, multi-diagnostic assessment driven I've got to get deep in the weeds and figure out what in the world is going on and then listen to you as we go through the journey, because I got to shift even what I'm thinking two weeks early, I might have to shift again based off of your response to a new care plan. So I just got, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the journey, the learning, the, the ever changing difficulties, because I mean, I went from, I'm going to work with. Borrelia bedorfia Lyme, and then maybe a little Babesia, to adding Bartonella, then parasites, and metal, then mold, then mast cell, then radioactive elements. I mean, it has just grown over time. And I'm like, now I have this huge swath of information that I've had to pull together because every time I get somebody better with something, they send me some, somebody new with something new and worse that's more complicated. And I'm like, okay, back to the books. Well, who better to treat somebody with chronic Lyme disease than somebody who's been through the journey themselves? And, you know, you're going to be at a conference next week with Dr. Casey Kelly and Dr. Bill Rolls, who did the same thing, right? They both had chronic Lyme. They both had issues that they couldn't get through. And it was a long, difficult journey. They finally got diagnosed, got themselves better. And now they're doing the same thing to help others heal. So you are the perfect model of somebody who got better and it can help others now in your practice to get better. But I do want to focus on, because we don't ask this question, Dr. Moore, we're going to get slammed with questions once we launch this podcast. What specifically did you do with uh, Alan to treat your Lyme disease? What herbs, if you can give us the details and the specifics of what you did to get yourself better. So Alan formulated his own formula, which was called way back before the FDA made him change the name, Detox One. It has now since been renamed or renamed uh, and Cellcor has uh, started selling it and it's called IS Boar, which has a number of different herbs in it. Chinese skull cap. It has... Um, Japanese knotweed, there's some wormwood and black walnut in some of those formulas, but it was IS boar and IS bab were the first two things that I did. And then from there, 
we customized uh, some frequency specific technique. So microcurrent therapy uh, frequencies that he had found that really worked well with supercharging the body for Lyme disease. And that helps to get your body to focus on Lyme. I took a lot of detox support. So this was uh, back when I got everything separately. So I was taking charcoal, N-acetylcysteine, and then I was taking uh, milk thistle to support liver and detox and bind up all that ammonia as those things came out. That was the, the beginning piece. That was the piece that we really got the most traction with after that on my journey. Cause you know, after the first couple months, it was like, I was feeling so much better, but in that journey to get all the way to well, which, I mean, if you want to know where well is just for those listening, I, it's, this is not for me to brag. This is for me to tell you, you can get there after getting better. I've now done CrossFit. I've done five K's. I, and back to being able to work full speed ahead and more. I mean, I, I, I don't want to brag that I overwork or that I'm a workaholic, but I kind of am. I'm up at night researching and reading and, and going on other people's Instagrams and podcasts and trying to figure out what the newest innovation is. Um, so you can get back all the way to well, but I did that by, by doing what I said. And then I, I did a, a metal detox. I used brain phase from systemic formulas. I've done the parasite protocols and, and just for those out there, yes, you pull parasites out of yourself. I literally had to assist myself and pull a parasite the rest of the way out that I was letting go because it was a few feet long. Um, and then I figured out that what I think really broke my immune system was on another podcast. I was talking through my story and I was like, oh, crap. When I really started getting sick is when I lived in a duplex in college and I lived in the basement. I can remember vividly right now that there was, you know, baseboard on there and all the way up the entire baseboard and above it was, was green mold that had grown in that basement that suppressed my immune system and allowed this bacteria to have an opportunity to just take off in my system. And even though I moved out of there, it was, you know, I was away from the mold after I'd left, the symptoms still kept growing because it allowed Lyme and, and the other infections to take hold. So I've gone back and I've, I've just kind of reverse engineered healing and I've gone, okay, well, I've done mold detox also because I want to get my mitochondria and my health all the way to the top. So it is a smorgasbord of all of that, starting with IS bore and IS bab. And my dosing was a teaspoon twice a day of each with uh, whatever amount of the, the binders and liver support that I personally required to keep my herxes from going too high. My detox system is fairly strong in comparison to what I see a client. So I didn't, I wasn't on as much as some of the people I'm working with. Um, but I'll see people take, gosh, a couple thousand, um, a couple thousand micrograms of, of NAC easily. Uh, I, I use a lot of cell core now. So I'll see people take six Tudka, six uh, KL support every single day just to support their detox pathways. And they're going through using some of those products. So on the note of supporting your mitochondrial health and making sure that, you know, it's on point, we know that you are, a tr you know, you're, you're trained in true cell cellular healing. So can you talk to us more about what that means? What is true cellular healing and why is mitochondrial health so important when dealing with Lyme disease? Yeah. So you're talking about going all the way to the cellular level. So looking at the cellular machinery that makes up your body. So our, our whole body's got cells and inside that cell is other organelles one of those things called a mitochondria, which is your powerhouse. And if that powerhouse, which controls your, the production of energy, which is ATP, it controls the 
what what your immune system is going to do. So is it going to attack? Is it going to fight? Is it going to kill your cell? What, what's going to happen there? And then it's also going to control hormone production. So just simply getting to the mitochondrial level to understand how those are functioning is a huge piece of the puzzle. So I, when I'm looking at a client, I'm running an organic acid test, I'm running a hair test. If you're low on potassium sodium, because your body's been stressed for a very long time, it's been beat up and broken down for a very, very long time, you're not going to have a good ability to detox. Potassium and sodium help open up these little channels like this that are in your cells to allow toxins in and out. So when I see a hair test showing that you're low on potassium, I've got to get your potassium up. That, that's just stage one. If I see mitochondrial dysfunction, which I can see in an organic acid test, so is your uh, Krebs cycle, is your fatty acid oxidation cycles suppressed? Well, we've got to get that turned on. And the two main things that are going to cause those to have issues is radioactive elements, so things like uranium, radon, radium. Uh, you can see this on your hair test. You can see this in your urine test. You can find it in 163 million Americans' water supply. So just look at, that was a, a study that was produced. I saw it even on, on Yahoo much less, you know, functional medicine site. That was on Yahoo. And so if you've got that in your system, that's going to suppress your mitochondria. If you're living in a house with mold, that's going to suppress your, your mitochondrial health, your immune system, your energy production. So we've got to get just that basic level rebuilt and detoxed. If you have any expectation of ever being able to stabilize your body and stay away from Lyme, because Lyme, even if you just hammer the body with all of the doxy that you want. I mean, just do six months, do a year. I had one client that did 18 years of antibiotics and was still not well because nobody ever came back in and got rid of some of the toxins of metal. Now, no one talked about mold. No one went in there and just gave D-ribose, CoQ10, L-carnitine to get that cellular machinery coming back online so that her body could produce energy so that the immune system had the energy to go out and do its job to keep Lyme suppressed. Because it does not matter, again, how many antibiotics you do. It does not matter how many herbs you take. You will not ever kill every single cell of a bacteria of Borrelia. You're just not going to do it. You're going to get rid of a lot of it. Your body is made out of bacteria. There are 40,000 named bacteria in your body. So you cannot kill or obliterate any infection. You can suppress its numbers. And then you can allow your immune system to control it. And by the way, there's probably millions of people out there that have been bit by a tick that have Borrelia in their body. I'm one of them that feels just fine because I got my mitochondria. I got my body to do what it's supposed to do, which is keep equilibrium with all these bacteria. Some of those the bacteria that are in your body right now, as I'm talking to you is clostridia, strep, staph. You have EBV in you. You have parasites in you. These things live in you every day. And if you're healthy, your immune system moderates those and it manages them and they actually add to your health. They're no longer a parasite. They're no longer bad for you. They're good for you. If your mitochondria are weak, those things get out of control and then you get diagnosed with infections because those things get too high and now you have pathogenic levels. So it's about harmony and balance, not about eradication. So this is what we hear in this podcast often when we speak to doctors, especially those that specialize in Lyme, it's never just Lyme disease. It's never just Borrelia burgdorferi. It's environmental toxins. It's other infections in the body. It's a health, unhealthy lifestyle. It's a lack of sleep. It's poor diet. And then collectively, these things contribute to chronic illness and a crash, right? I think that's kind of what you're articulating here, Dr. Moore. Absolutely. So let's focus more on the environmental toxins because we are we love your social media, by the way, and we've learned a lot from your social media. And you talk a lot about environmental toxins, specifically heavy metals and mold. So if you could just share with our, our listeners, 
how do people get exposed to heavy metals and mold? And then what can they do to counteract that exposure to these heavy metals and mold to overcome that layer so they can optimize their ability to heal from, from Lyme disease? Yeah, for sure. So they get exposed through air, food, water, and hygiene products. That's, that's about it. That's where it comes from. So I'm just going to break those down one by one. We're going to start with air because that's, that's the majority of where mold comes from. What are you breathing? Is your house moldy? This stuff right here, the sheetrock, that's called mold food. It's got Jepson in it. It literally is the, the perfect food for mold. So anytime you have moisture, touch it, you could potentially have mold growing in your home. Mold is an absolute nightmare for your mitochondria. They've used mold as a bioweapon. They've used mold to suppress your immune system. It's mycophlenic acid. They've used this type of mold mycotoxin to suppress your immune system during transplants for organs. That's how strong it is. You won't even attack somebody else's organ in your own body because they suppress you so far using a mold mycotoxin, right? Mold mycotoxins are incredible. And, and for some people who have the HDLR gene, which is 25% of the population, they're even more sensitive than the rest of us. But mold is in the desert. Mold is in, in Florida. Mold is in Kansas City, Missouri, where I am, right? So it doesn't matter where you live. If you have water, which you do, because it, or you require water to survive. I'm sitting here drinking water right now. If you have water, you can have mold. And if you've never tested your home and you're struggling to get well, do a mold test. Double check it. You may have Lyme and then you may be suppressed because of mold. So I always talk to people about having clean air. And the test that I run at the start, which is not an all-in all in test where you don't have to do anything else, it's not the end-all, be-all, is an ERMI, E-R-M-I test. And it's a dust cloth sample test. It's, it's for testing-wise, fairly inexpensive. It's a few hundred dollars. You wipe dust up. You send it in the lab. They send you back a test saying how much mold is in your home. Um, so that, that's, that's air. We need clean air. That's where most mold comes from. The next piece is food. Food is a place where if you ever have been to the Midwest, when we harvest wheat and grains, there are so many huge fields and so few places to process it that they may dump grain on, a on the ground in a big, huge pile. They'll throw a tarp over it and they'll wait days, weeks until they actually get the opportunity to process it, put it in the silo and ship it out. And what happens while it's sitting there? Mold grows. And then mold puts mycotoxins, endotoxins in it. And then that gets shipped out to you. And then by the time you eat it, that stuff's in there. Food grows mold. And at the store, I mean, have you had blue cheese? Have you had uh, some bread that you saw a little bit of mold on this piece? So you, you threw that away, but you didn't realize that to see mold visually, that's at least 100,000, if not a million colonies. So you're talking, there's probably mold two and three and four pieces of bread back. Have you ever just cut uh, the part of the tomato that's mold on it, throw it away and then eat it, right? So mold can come from food. And then the places that we don't even think about it is coffee beans almost all have mold unless it says mold free. A lot of your fermented foods like wine or your dried fruit has mold on it. So knowing what quality your food is, sourcing mold free food can be really helpful. And this can help reduce mold into your body, which again, can be immunosuppressive. But then, then going into the, the metal conversation. In a study- Dr. Moore, I'm sorry, but before we go there, what can people do though, if they are exposed to mold and they do have the genetic you know, deficiency where they are part of the 25% of the population, where they're more sensitive to mold, 
what can they do to help get these mycotoxins out of their body once they remediate the mold or remove themselves from the moldy situation, whether it be environmental or food, et cetera? You know, what are some tips you recommend with your patients to help them address the mold in their body? Yeah, so once the mold's out, um, the next step is depending upon your sensitivity. So I find a lot of people with mold toxicity that they become very sensitive. So they get diagnosed with things like mast cell or SIRS, uh, which is chronic inflammatory response syndrome. They could also just simply say, I've got a, a ton of food allergies because their, their body is shoot first, ask questions later. So I call this autoimmune PTSD and you need to do some almost trauma work. I send people to neurofeedback. I send people to EMDR. And this is not because necessarily you are abused by somebody uh, and a person. This is because your health, your immune system, your nervous system was abused by mold. So that's a piece that we work on. After that piece, I say you've got to open up the detox and drainage pathways first, uh, first and foremost. So that's doing liver, lymph, gallbladder, kidney, uh, opening tools, which can be anything from the supplements I mentioned earlier, uh, whether they be cell core or as you source them, they can be coffee enemas, castor oil packs, dry brushing, infrared sauna, rebounding to help really move those toxins out. Once you feel like you've got your lymph and your detox drainage pathways moving, I usually go into parasites because parasites are usually going to grow in somebody that has been through a mold toxicity. So then you actually flush parasites out because they're large organisms. I mean, they can be feet long and they can clog up your liver, your gallbladder, your colon. So I flush those out. Then we go into bacteria, the mycoplasma, and then I go into mold. When I get into mold, there's a number of different binders that you can take uh, to help bind up mold. And you may be taking these even as you're going just to make sure that that doesn't recirculate as you're getting rid of the other toxins and infections as you're getting there. But I use carboxy from Cellcore. I use charcoals from other companies because that's more gut-based, but carboxy can go more systemic. Uh, C CSM, which is cholestyramine, is decent for binding uh, ocrotoxin A, which CRM CSM is a medication. You can use bentonite clay, which actually picks up several different types of mycotoxins. So there's, a, there's some charts we published out there that say this binder is better for this mycotoxin, but realistically, it's... Do that prep work, get the pathways open. And then when you get to mold, you've got to do two things because you can be colonized by it. You can kill the fungus mold, which I use AF and G from Byron White often. And then the second thing is you got to flush it by pushing stuff out, which is exciting the mitochondria. And that can be done through sweating like a sauna. That can be done through glutathione, ALAs. It can be done through fulvic bound minerals that help to, to energize the cell. But once you start pushing that out, then you got to make sure you bind it with things like carboxy, and then you have to be able to flush it through the liver. So, you know, just keep going back to, you've got to keep the detox pathways going. It's not just to open them up and done, it's to open them up and then continue supporting them while you're doing the rest of that work. Okay. And I'm sorry for interrupting you, Dr. Moore, about the heavy metals. If you want to continue on with that, please. Yeah. Uh, so once you've checked your food for heavy, for mold, right? So that's one part. Then we go over to heavy metals. And I was getting ready to say a study. There's a study showing that uh, 32 different lipsticks, 16 of them contain lead. So just let that sink in. Women in a lifetime on average swallow four pounds of lipstick. So you're swallowing lead, not to mention the parabens and the phthalates and all the other things that are in there that are super toxic. We're just talking metal. Um, so We've got to be very protective about all the products that we're putting to our body. So food, 
let's talk mercury. So mercury can be in fish. So you want to make sure that when you're eating fish, you're eating wild caught, you're eating it just a couple of times a week. You're not trying to eat it too often. Those people have who have that genetic SNP where they are HLDR, they're not going to be able to process out the mercury as well. Oftentimes people living in mold can't process out as well either. And let's think of why. If you have Lyme, if you have mold, if you have parasites, your body's already stressed and strained and trying to detox. So bringing in fish that have mercury that in theory, you should be able to clear, you might not be able to do it at that period of time in your life. Don't get the farm, farm raised anything. Don't eat too much fish because you're going to accumulate the mercury. And then the other things like chicken and rice, chicken and rice carry a lot of arsenic. So you're going to want to make sure that you minimize the amount of that that you're bringing in. You're going to want to make sure that you source foods from places that are more organic, that don't have the pesticides, because pesticides also carry not, not just uh, toxins, but they also carry metals in them. So you're really trying to make sure that the sourcing that you're getting your food from is clean and that you're realizing what types of different food bring toxicity wise with it so you can avoid it in the food. And then that just takes me from, you know, air to food. And then I said water and water. I get up on my high horse on, I get on my soapbox and I just, I just talk to people. I'm like, look, I don't care what system you use for your house. Step one is you've got to make sure that the water is clean. And with 163 million Americans drinking water that has radioactive elements in it, the only way that I have found to get that out is distillation. Reverse osmosis is great. I love it. But it just doesn't seem to get the radioactive elements out the way that I like to, to see it. Maybe there's somebody out there with a system that can prove me wrong. But I've seen some really expensive ones that just weren't getting the job done on that. So get the water clean. And once the water is clean, then you can take a step from there and you can figure out, do you want to add minerals back to it? You do you want to structure it. Do you want to alkalize it? And all of those are very valid things. But the reason why I say clean is just go to EWG.org. Look at what the EPA reports is in water. Arsenic is through the roof in so many places. Radioactive elements are in, a, in half the Americans' water in the United States. Um, you can find chromium. You can find, should I've seen mercury. I've seen all kinds of different things in water supplies. So you've got to be so careful about what you're putting in your body. I just don't drink tap water. I just said, no, I'm done with it. I'm out because there's so much metal that's coming in from that singular place. And it's, it's honestly an easy place to start. You can buy a distiller or you can go to the grocery store, get distilled water in a gallon, or you can have water de delivered to your house. And it's just like tonight, after you listen to this podcast, find a different source, go to the grocery store from there, find a supplier from there, buy a, a distiller. That's a, a, a singular item that you can change that can decrease the amount of toxins coming in every single day. So I have to ask you, Dr. Moore, did Dr. Jess, I know you guys are friends, did she put you up to this? Because on our podcast, she was very polite when I told her I drink tap water and she called it infertility water, but it was much kinder. And I think you're, this is a, another message for me saying that I really stop, need to stop drinking tap water, which I think you finally convinced me to do. But let's talk about the distilled water, right? Because if I were to stop this podcast when we're done, go to ShopRite and pick up some distilled water and start drinking that, there is the idea of there's no minerals, right? So we need electrolytes, we need minerals. So how do I, is it important to remineralize? Some doctors say it's super important. You have to make sure to add something to remineralize. Other doctors say it's not so as important. What is your view on that? Um, because I do know that if you don't have these electrolytes, you can be dehydrated and these symptoms can overlap with Lyme disease, right? So now you're dehydrated because you're drinking distilled water. You're not getting enough minerals. You're having these, these symptoms of fatigue and 
brain fog and dizziness, which are dehydration symptoms, right? So what's your recommendation there? Yeah, I love Dr. Jess. And uh, I'll, let you tell you, I'll tell you where the infertility water even came from, by the way. It was, uh, I was, I just got married and my wife and I were talking about, are we going to have kids? And, I mean, not if, but when, like, when are we going to start having kids? And and she really wanted kids. And I kept telling her, stop drinking the water out of the faucet. Stop drinking the water out of the fridge. Like, it's not good enough. I go, we have the, the distilled water here. Just use it. Like, come on. And she's like, I just forget. And I'm like, you know, one day she walks over to the fridge and I'm just joking. I'm like, will you stop drinking the infertility water? Like, don't you want to have kids at some point? And from then on, because I brought fertility into her head and she wants kids. It was like, boom, that's it. Won't touch the stuff again. And anytime I touch anything that's not distilled, she's like, hey, hey, you. So that's where it came from. And that's, that's the truth. Like look in your water and look at the particulates there and then look up what they do to you. They create infertility, a bunch of them. So then minerals. All right, let's, let's just take this to the most simple. Is drinking tap water going to give you minerals is the first thing that I need to talk to you about. So what's in your tap water? It's not a bunch of good stuff, right? It's not healthy stuff. It's not stuff that we we want in us. So are you missing out on minerals by not drinking tap water? No, you're not. You're not going to miss out on minerals. You're going to miss out on toxins. So, okay. So then why not go to spring water? Okay. I like the idea of spring water. I love the idea of spring water. You find me a spring that is untouched by man that doesn't have run rainwater that potentially is putting toxins back into it. I'll drink it. But look into studies about fortification of, of food, and you're going to see that when we fortify water, meaning we take a micronutrient or a nutrient and we add it to cereal or we add it to Pop-Tarts or whatever it is that we add it to, it doesn't get into the body very well. It's not going to change your level of absorption to go higher uh, to, to give you that fortification. It's just, it doesn't work. Our bodies don't work that way. They require things to be bound by either a plant proteins or minerals or, or enzymes or animal, right? So we absorb minerals by them being plant or animal bound. So then if I just go and add back magnesium to my water, am I going to absorb that? Well, by the studies I've read, not really. Does it change the pH of the water? Sure, which that is also important because we don't want to have acidic water hitting our teeth and causing damage, which is one knock on distilled water. It's dead water or it's, or it's um, acidic water. So I go, okay. And that's why I said, you know, first step is clean. Second step is what are we going to do from there? So what we do is we take a dropper of CT minerals from Cellcore. It's fulvically bound. So it's organically bound minerals. We add it back to the water. So that changes the alkalinity, that changes the mineral content in it. It does add some minerals back, but I'm not thinking that I'm going to be getting all of my minerals from water. This is not what's going to happen. Now, do I recommend adrenal cocktails? Do I recommend sea salt and water for people with mineral issues? Do I, I recommend coconut water? Absolutely. But I don't think that that one dropper in a gallon, which is what I recommend, um, is going to be enough mineral for somebody that's chronically ill. I just don't. Um, and I'm, I'm also, I mean, again, just go back to the basics. You're not getting good minerals from, from tap water. You're only going to get toxins. So why drink it? I did not know that. I, I, I'm sitting here thinking along, Dr. Moore, that I'm drinking tap water and getting minerals and I wouldn't in my distilled water. So thank you for educating me on that. 
Yeah, I mean, literally just go to EWG, look up your water. I've seen New York's. I don't remember it all in, in my, my my brain here, but I remember you're not going to find magnesium, potassium, sodium. You're not going to find that. You're going to find arsenic, fluoride, uranium, you know, all this other stuff, which if that's the type of minerals you want, then, then we have different opinions, right? <laughs> so one of the things I do want to ask you, Dr. Moore, is, you know, as a doctor, as a chiropractor, one of the things that my chiropractor here with me um, just recently was that when people get adjusted, you know, oftentimes we hear in this podcast, somebody gets their neck adjusted and they say they feel this sense of clarity, right? They have the brain fog lifts. They feel like their fatigue lifts. And it's a rather instant kind of thing. He was saying that there's something called the corpus callum, and I may be even saying that the wrong way, which is almost like a filtration system in the brain. And when your neck is, I guess, subluxated or it's, it's you know, you, you need it to get adjusted, all of the, the filtration system in your brain for your central, you know, for your, C, your CSF, it isn't doing as good of a job. So can you talk to us about why chiropractic in general is a good tool for people with chronic Lyme disease and chronic illness and, and especially pain related to chronic illness? Because I know for me, it's been something when I've had really bad times, I go to the chiropractor and I get instant relief, right? So what role does chiropractic care have to play in the immune system, but also specifically with like that instant relief people get when they get their neck adjusted or their back adjusted, et cetera? So there's a few pieces to play in there. Uh, one, when somebody puts hands on and touches you and moves your neck and moves and moves everything around and gets it gets it going, they're actually activating the lymph system. So I have a lot of clients work on dry brushing, do lymphatic drainage, right? So they're 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 doing work in their neck, and by adjusting, you're taking out subluxation. You're also moving lymph. So lymph movement is one part. A second part. Chiropractic has been shown to activate the parasympathetic nervous, parasympathetic nervous system. So it's calming down your body, taking you out of state of fight or flight. When you live in a state of fight or flight, because you have Lyme, your body's on overdrive. It's brain fog. It's fatigued. It's not in a healing state. It's stressed. So chiropractic is helping to bring you out of that. Now, what chiropractors are doing is they're aligning your spine. They're taking pressure off your nervous system. And Again, that's reducing the stress to your body. Um, so by taking stress away, you're even adding another piece of, you know, one less problem in your body. It's decreasing the, the bucket. And by decreasing the threshold of stress in your body, we're, again, giving your body back energy to focus on other things besides this neck issue. When you have interference or inflammation from the neck being out of place and it's pinching on nerves, those nerves, especially up here, they run all over your body, right? So that's your, your brainstem, that's your, your cervical vertebra, and they're running all over the place, all the way throughout your body. And let's just talk about it. For instance, uh, something that people hear a lot about sciatica. Sciatica is nerves running out of your lower back, and then they can cause numbness down your legs. So let's just imagine that if you put pressure on the nerve in your lower back, now you have this pain numbness down your leg. If I adjust you and take that pressure off, and I'm not saying that there's a bone pushing on your, your nerve, I'm saying pressure because what happens is when the spine shifts, it creates inflammation and muscle tension that puts the pressure on the nerve. So when we, when we take that out, that now allows better communication for that nerve and less symptom, which is pain and inflammation. Imagine if that was going to your digestive tract, your heart, because that's true. The nerves run out of your spine to your heart, to your lungs, to your digestive system, to your thyroid. So getting aligned allows for better communication, less stress, a decrease in fight or flight, 
and decrease an increase in lymph function. There's a number of function chiropractic helps with. So I love getting people to chiropractic for sure. Absolutely. I add to you movement therapy, whether that be physical therapists or uh, personal trainers, acupuncture. I love acupuncture because that's the electrical meridian system. But then I'm going to give an unfortunate feedback here for chiropractic. At times, if you go to a more aggressive chiropractor, I've even seen chiropractic where somebody gets adjusted and they feel worse because the chiropractors adjust them and their body is so stressed and so strained that any, any change to the system is almost overwhelming. And it's not chiropractic problem. It's that as a chiropractor, I need to be able to go, okay, you're in fight or flight so far that I need to temper down my adjustment, do a little more gentle. And then all of a sudden they get that positive response. So if you are a person out there that's gone to a chiropractor and either it caused you to flare or you're like, I walked out and, and 30 seconds after I went out the door, the adjustment didn't last. It's because your body is such a state of fight or flight that it couldn't respond appropriately. Your ligaments are, are probably lax and you need to reduce that state of fight or flight, which can be done through chiropractic cares. It's just usually either gentle stuff or somebody that's going to get up in your neck or somebody that's going to work on your specifically your nervous system through uh, different therapies in the body, whether that be um, acupressure or tapping or um, vagus nerve work. And then that then turns around and gives you the benefit. But even within chiropractic, we have to scale our care to your nervous system stress. So let's talk about why people go to the chiropractor generally speaking, right? So a lot of people go because they have pain, right? They have neck pain, they have back pain, sciatica, et cetera. And a lot of people with chronic Lyme disease have full body pain. And then on this podcast, we've heard from over 300 people that we've interviewed that they end up with one or many autoimmune diseases. And it seems to be extremely common for chronic Lyme patients to have, you know, lupus and a ton of other autoimmune diagnoses. Is it your belief, Dr. Moore, that they truly have these autoimmune diseases and they would have regardless of the tick bite and the, the you know, co-infections and tick-borne illnesses? Or do you think these autoimmune diseases are a consequence of all these infections and their, their system failure that they're getting from chronic illness? You know, where do you view this? Because a lot of people think that they're separate and they would have had them anyway. And a lot of people think that they're connected and related in some way. I'm on the connected and related side of things because I don't believe the body is stupid and attacks itself for no reason, um, which is kind of what, if you really break down autoimmunity, that's what we're saying. We're saying your body forgot that your myelin sheath was good and then started attacking it for no reason. And now you have MS. And if you really look, I mean, go to PubMed, look up MS, see what some uh, correlations are of 25% of people with MS test positive for Borrelia. By the way, there was a study done on autopsy of the brain. 100 out of 100 brains had nematode parasites that had MS. So is it correlative that MS is somewhat with these 100 brains had MS and nematodes or is it causative? Well, we don't know yet. The studies are still hopefully being done and, and the, the work is going there, but it's been my experience. If I can take somebody into my clinic and we can work on their body, we can work on their nervous system, then we can get the body calmed down. Well, then the autoimmune disease, which is a diagnosis of a disease process or a symptom, not a diagnosis of a cause, then those symptoms will fade away 
and the person can live a healthy, happy, let's call it symptom-free life. Because I can't use the word cure because if I use the word cure, they'll slap me on the wrist. They'll they'll try to take my license. Whereas I'm just like, look, we're just looking for quality of life. Let's go symptom-free. I don't care what title you have. It doesn't matter. But why would the immune system start attacking it? So, well, there's a multitude of reasons. I mentioned earlier autoimmune PTSD. I've also mentioned earlier shoe first, ask questions later. So these concepts, I try to make it an analogy. I try to break it down to, to simplicity, right? So the body, the body's got this infection. It's all stressed out and, and it's just tons and tons of bacteria in your body. So let's just, if you're a, a history buff, let's think back to the, the when we were storming the beach on Normandy, you got 400,000 men storming in the beach. You've got some machine gunners at the top of the hill that were Germany. And, and are they trying to shoot at one person when there's 400,000 people storming the beach? No, they're just firing the gun in that direction. And they're going to hit somebody. Well, unfortunately, when your immune system is firing the immune system, when we're under such an attack from Lyme and co-infections, the casual or the casualties or the collateral damage is tissue types. Well, if you have Lyme in your brain, like the studies show, the, the casualty could be a tissue type of a myelin sheath leading to MS, or the casualty could be bone tissue leading to RA. So now it's not the body is stupid and attacking itself, it's the body is overwhelmed and accidentally sent out antibodies. And now the flag of the antibody, so identified the bone tissue as a problem along with the Lyme, we have a problem. And I could take this a step further scientifically, and I'm trying to kind of walk us down that path. Have you guys heard of molecular mimicry? No. So molecular mimicry is the ability for, let's say, strep, because this is where I learned it from, strep or mycoplasma, um, to grab a piece of tissue off of you and then present itself as that tissue type because it puts it on the outside. So a, a, a diagnosis that I became uh, pretty knowledgeable in is PANDAS. PANDAS, it's pediatric acute neuro instead of a psychiatric disorder caused by strep. Super long name, pandas. Um, and this is where the bacteria of strep grabs a piece of the basal ganglia as a common type of brain tissue. It sticks it on the outside. It covers itself. And it's sitting there causing damage to your body. And your immune system's floating around looking for it. And it goes, oh, that's basal ganglia. Go on. But eventually, it keeps hearing the same signal from this area. and gets smart. And it goes, huh, what's going on here? This is doing damage. For that the outside layer is putting off basal ganglia and then it sticks a flag all the way through it so it also has strep so now it's going to attack both basal ganglia and strep problem being guess what if you destroy your basal ganglia you're gonna have a bunch of brain disorders well what is happening with these pediatrics these kids they're having all sorts of brain symptoms the problem is you can kill the infection but you can't remove the brain tissue so now the immune system's on overdrive all the time because it's attacking the brain tissue. So it's a never ending cycle because of this molecular mimicry that caused a autoimmune reaction. So the, the solution to that is remove enough infections, retrain the immune system after you've calmed down the nervous system so that you can stop it long enough. So it goes, Oh, Oh, that's just, that's brain tissue. We can remove the flag from that. We don't need to attack that anymore. That's okay. But you've got to give it time enough and calmness enough that it can do that. And when we're in chronic infection, living in the 
fight or flight world that most of us live in where we're constantly scrolling the internet and going to work and, you know, worried about this, that, and the other, we never calm down enough to let our immune system realize all things are okay. I've had people come to my clinic who have been through all the greatest care. They got rid of the infections, they detoxed, but nobody helped to retrain their brain and simply just putting them through brain retraining. All of a sudden their symptoms started lifting and pretty rapidly. I was like, you've been to great doctors. Did they ever do this? This, 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 they did all the kill and detox. They did none of the brain work. And that was the missing link for them. And once that happened, that autoimmunity just started to fade. So let's talk more about the brain, right? Because everything you're saying has been backed by various scientific studies. We just had Dr. Alan McDonald McDonald on a few weeks ago, and he gave us an update on some of his work with Lewy body dementia patients. So initially he found the connection that the, you know, in all autopsies he did of Lewy body dementia, there was Lyme disease in the brain as well in the sample. Now we found out most recently that the Lewy bodies are actually built on the Lyme itself, meaning, you know, the Lyme is a scaffolding that the Lewy body is built on, right? And we put this podcast out and we got a ton of feedback of people being afraid saying, I have Lyme, oh my goodness, what happens if I get Lewy body dementia? Or he also proved the connection between Parkinson's and, you know, Alzheimer's, all kinds of things like that. So some of the questions we got in preparation for this interview with you, Dr. Moore, were from the community. And a lot of people were asking, what's the best test to determine if they have neurological Lyme disease? And what's the best treatment to cross the blood-brain barrier to effectively get Lyme and potentially parasites in the brain to prevent these things from happening, like Lewy body dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, et cetera? Yeah. So testing for the brain, I mean, you could definitely run like a tick point, a tick-borne panel 2.0 from Vibrant America, which actually just came out with a recent study showing that they had the best specificity um, in, in all testing for Lyme right now. So better, better than hygienics. That's that's what the study showed. So they, they showed the highest level, which, you know, they're not the gold standard. Vibrant isn't right now, but maybe over time they'll replace hygienics or hygienics will get better. Right. I don't know. But just reading the study, it was it was pretty interesting. So they're they're the best to so run a tick panel panel two and see what happens there. And then on the other side of it, I've actually been running a neural zoomer, which is another one from Vibrant America. And I've, I've been running hygienics and DNA connections. And I mean, I've even done some Armin labs and some other things over time, but uh, Vibrant's been pretty impressive with some of their offerings recently. So the neural zoomer, which I started running to replace the Cunningham panel, which is the gold standard for pans pandas. What is the neural zoomer? It's a test with like 50 markers for antibodies to the brain. So you can run all these antibodies to see if your brain's attacking itself, which will tell you, are you on the path to some of these neurological diseases, which could be useful information. It doesn't really change the way that I'm going to treat you, but it definitely gives you information of what level of progression you've gotten to. And then what do we do for getting stuff across the blood brain barrier? So instead of me coming here and saying, well, if I use Rifaxin or if I use Doxy or if I use amoxicillin. It's not that it's, it goes back to such a more basic level for me. It goes back to, I'm going to clear on that same path that I talked about earlier, get, get that, get the body detoxing, get rid of the parasites. Then I'm going to start working on bacteria. Then I'm going to go mycoplasm mold metals, radioactive elements. And within that, I'm going to start rebuilding. That's the piece that so many people miss. I'm going to start rebuilding the gut 
I'm going to start adding back prebiotics, probiotics. I'm going to make sure that you add variety back to your diet because you've probably got food allergies on this journey. And when we remove these things I'm talking about, we're going to get food allergies going, which is going to allow variety to your gut microbiome, which by the way, your gut microbiome and your brain microbiome are connected. If one's depleted, the other one's going to be depleted. If you have leaky gut, which is going to leave tight junctions broken in your gut, you're going to have the same thing in your brain. So all the stuff that you've ever learned for gut affects your brain. So as I go through this process using these herbs, these herbs can get into the brain. They can affect bacteria in the brain. But as I go down this journey with people, I you have to start rebuilding the gut because that's going to rebuild the brain. You also have to add back in brain food, which is going to be things like fish oils. And I'm not talking about always adding actual fish oil supplements back in. I'm talking about adding in avocado and nuts and fish. I like real foods if I can do that. So eating a whole food diet and a wide variety, well, not that elimination diet that you're on that has five foods, stay there until you can get off of it. But the goal is to get off of it by retraining the brain, by removing the parasites, by getting you out of mold, by removing the heavy metals and the radioactive elements that will start allowing you to add that variety back and then pushing the mitochondria. There are 10,000 mitochondria per cell in the brain. There are 5,000 liver. There's only 500 per for per cell and muscle tissue. So let's think if you have 10,000 in your brain and I start kicking them up, what are they going to do? They control your immune system. They make energy. It's like the perfect storm. You're going to start fueling your brain to not only regenerate what it can, but get the immune system to come do the work it's supposed to. Because no matter what antibiotic or, or medication or herbal that you're taking, your immune system is your best friend. It is the thing that you have to get under control, the thing that you have to build. And that's what we've got to do to get your brain fully well, because why is, why are things like uh, parasites in your brain or meningitis such a fearful thing? It is hard to get back to antibiotics. It's hard to get medication to the brain. The blood brain barrier protects you from large molecules. So you're not going to be able to get stuff across it very easily. So no matter what the therapy you're doing, there's going to be limitation to it unless you're literally injecting it into your spinal cord, which very few doctors I've ever met want to do that because it is highly invasive and highly risky. So it's about clear the whole body. Yes, take the herbs and the tinctures. And I do find that those help in the brain. I mean, I see people get not only brain fog and have Herx reactions, which we minimize with detox, but also have get clarity and healing from the herbs. But it is all about, again, optimizing the barriers, optimizing the bacteria, and then optimizing the mitochondria. So in a more micro question here from, from social media that we got for you specifically, people that are out there listening to this podcast that are really struggling with anxiety, the post that we shared of yours last night was almost 50% of people with Lyme disease suffer from anxiety. So obviously, if they're doing the right thing to try to treat, but they're still struggling with this, this crippling anxiety... What are things they can do in the short term to manage, manage anxiety that won't be this addictive type of approach with pharmaceuticals and maybe can help also get to the root cause as well? Because anxiety is huge in the Lyme community and people struggle to get it under control and they want to find more natural ways to manage it until they can get their health better from a whole body standpoint. Yeah. Anxiety is a killer. Um, and even as a doctor, anxiety, 
once, once a client's anxiety starts to reduce, you can just feel the calmness with them. And our conversations become so much better because they're settled in themselves, which is a beautiful thing to see. Um, I just had a young girl who I started working with. Her anxiety was 10 out of 10, her fatigue and brain fog, 10 out of 10. She has been working on, on Lyme for a couple of years now. She's a young person. I mean, she's literally a, a senior in college. And uh, when we started working together, she was on like 30 meds or 30 supplements, like three or four meds. And I was just like, do these make you feel any better? She's like, I don't know. Not really. I said, okay, cut literally every supplement that you can that, that doesn't make you feel better. She cut from 30 to three. All of a sudden she got her appetite back. She wasn't doing as many supplements. She wasn't. And, and none of this stuff was bad. It was all good stuff. It was all, it was all well meant from her previous practitioners. And, and honestly, some of it she was still on because she was fearful that if she came off of it, she'd get worse. And I see that a lot too. So I'm like, let's come off of it. Worst case scenario, we start back on it, right? You know, no harm, no foul. Like a day off of vitamin D is not going to kill you. So we come off of all this. She starts to feel just a hair better because her nausea goes away. She can start eating food. And I'm like, why don't you do some neurofeedback? So she looks around her area. She decides that she, she just wants to come to my clinic. She wants to shake my hand. She wants to say hi. She does 10 sessions of neurofeedback in my clinic for PTSD anxiety through a clear mind system at 30 minutes a piece in one week. So there you go. There's the protocol she did exactly what it was. Um, and by the end of the week, her mom told me she's feeling a little bit better. I try to have a follow-up with people about 10 to 14 days afterward. I jump on a call and, and how my schedule set up is it sends out a text message to you to fill out a journal for me of all the symptoms that you're having, um, uh, that we kind of preset before on your first appointment. And her 10 out of 10 on brain fog, fatigue, and anxiety dropped to a three or four each. And I literally got on the call. I was like, um, was there a glitch in my system? Because I'm seeing threes and fours. I was like, did you fill this out? Or is this like, you know, an accident? She's like, no, I feel great. She's like, we're not done. And I got, you know, I, yeah, I get that we're not done. But what happened? And she's just like, I just feel like that internal vibration, trauma, anxiety was calmed. She's like, it's still there at night. I still have to take some, ga-. like, she's like, what can I do at night when it starts to come back to me? I'm like, okay, we can take some gab. We can do some CBD um, to, to help try to calm it. You can take some pa- passion flower, valerian root, which can also make you sleepy. So at night it was perfect for her. Um, but the, the, that helped. And then I said also EFT tapping, Goop the DNRS or primal trust, which is limbic retraining and breath work, which is controlled breathing. All three of those, depending upon the person, just, you know, find the one that fits you best. Right. So I'm terrible at meditation and focus. So I need to do that. But in the meantime, it's like, I'll, I'll do some tapping. Um, some people don't really connect to the limbic retraining so they can choose those other two. And some people are great with a patterned practice, like, Primal Trust or DNRS, where they have somebody in a, a video session leading them through retraining their brain. So those, so neurofeedback can be the, the big quick hit. And then you go home and you can use some herbs to kind of stabilize. And then there's the brain work that you need to do, which is either the breath work tapping or limbic retraining that can kind of hold that neurofeedback as we're working to get rid of the anxiety because the root of that anxiety is of course the the trauma of going through being chronically ill but it is also the inflammation and the toxins that are put off by the Lyme and other infections that get to your brain that create inflammation and an inflamed brain and in, in studies is a depressed or an anxious brain so Dr. Mo, we've heard about these limbic 
you know, these limbic training things like DNRS, Gupta, My Vital Side, et cetera. You know, we've heard about a lot of these herbs you described. In fact, you know, um, Rich and I both tried the a blend from Dr. Rolls that, that has some of them in, in there. But when you refer to that she came to your clinic for, you know, these sessions, I forget what you called them. What exactly is that? I, I, I can't recall the word you said, but what is that aggressive sort of on-site on thing you did with her to get the jumpstart going? If you can give us a little more detail on that. Yeah, it's called neurofeedback. It is a QEEG to start where we read the electrical patterns of your brain to figure out what your brain waves are doing. From there, I create a protocol where we're going to do two sessions a day, five days in a row, uh, using a preset algorithm that was designed by the company ClearMind. And I choose which one, but they have tons of, of preset algorithms. And we're going to use that. And while we're doing that, you actually have a sensor on your amygdala on the outside, but on a sensor that's attached to you uh, through like some sticky stuff. And that sensor is telling us if your brain is responding positively or negatively, and it's adapting the algorithm to you in real time through the computer using sound in your ears that goes on and off based off of what your brain is doing on energy. So is your energy high or low? So it's adapting to that color, which I choose, which is uh, there's a number of colors, but the most common I use are blue and green. And then um, light, which is coming through that, but it's flashing at certain specific algorithms to trigger your amygdala to allow for some of that trauma to be unwound. So there's a lot of science behind the, this device. I'm honestly not the, the world's expert on neurofeedback. I don't claim to be. I actually stumbled into this because I was at conferences and one of my staff was dealing with a lot of a lot of life trauma. So she had anxiety and depression, was on several medications. This made her feel a lot better. So I bought it and she used it and it worked her all the way off of um, 300 milligrams of Effexor, I believe, and Wellbutrin. It was a few years ago. I think those are two meds, 300 of each. So it was really high dosing. Worked herself all the way off of it, feeling so much better. And then I had a new staff member came in because I wasn't really promoting this thing because I just failed on doing the training when I had it at the start. And a new staff member that had all this trauma. So I called her coming, like, hey, what do you do for trauma? I put her on it. And then her reactions to the world, like anxiety, uh, sound, light, just kind of faded out. And I was like, wait a minute, I got so many clients that are dealing with that. Let's see if this works. So then I'm putting CIRS people on there. I'm putting mast cell people on there, Lyme people on there. And their reactions to the world calmed, their nervous system calmed. And that's when I developed this kind of unique way of using it. Like the, like I call it the acute or the triage for their brain piece. Whereas a lot of neurofeedback clinics will do it a session or two a week for like 20, 30, 40 weeks. I'm doing it like acutely just to give you that relief. So then I can get in there and do the work. And then after that, usually if I can get in there and do the work quick enough, we don't have to do a lot of neurofeedback follow-ups um, over time. But every now and then, if, if, if you're a little more sensitive, we have to move a little slower. Sometimes we got to do a tune-up toward the end. But usually you can do that off-site. You can find another practitioner. The, the hard part is the way I'm using the neurofeedback unit is just kind of out of the norm. It's not bad. It's just quicker. So a lot of clinics don't aren't set up to do it that way. So Dr. Moore, my final question before Rich picks up and concludes this brilliant podcast with you is a lot of our, our followers and listeners wanted to know what's on the cutting edge, right? What do you, you're, you're constantly out there at conferences and you're learning and you're researching. What's on the cutting edge? What is new out there for the Lyme community? And what are your thoughts on some of these newer things like SOT that people are having some groundbreaking, you know, breakthroughs in their health with? You know, there, there are so many things in the Lyme 
chronic illness world going on, uh, peptides, SOT, LDN, um, hypertherapy, HBOT, which is uh, hyperbaric. There, there are so many amazing things and they, and they work differently for different people. Um, amp coils and, and those sorts of things. Something that I've been intrigued by and I'm, I'm probably going to start doing, I, I literally just left this conference and, and I was like, all right, I'm doing it, is I, I'm doing neurofeedback in my clinic, which has been just a game changer for those mental health symptoms. Um, and I think that's a piece, but I'm, I'm, I've got these people traveling to me. They're, they're flying across the country, doing it in my clinic for a week and going home. And I'm like, what can I add to help? So come in, sit in the clinic for a week and be able to do something like that. I wanted to add potentially ketamine for people because that will help to wipe out that initial suicidal ideation. Uh, I was talking with a psychiatrist who's here in Missouri. We might work a partnership, uh, being that that's more of her specialty. Um, IV nutrition, like NAD, to push the, the mitochondria because NAD is a IV that helps build energy systems. So it helps to clean up and give you more mitochondrial function. Uh, that's another big find that has been being used recently. Adding with that, that uh, specific frequencies, whether it be from a laser, PEMF, or frequency specific. So it's it's finding all this technology, putting it together, and then making it in a bundle where people are able to handle it is the biggest key that I'm trying to find because perksing is a problem, right? So reactiveness is a problem. So I, I think the Lyme community... As, as I'm learning, it's bridging that gap. It's not just hammering you and killing stuff. It's using the whole body as a, as a tool, uh, making sure you deal with the trauma of being sick along with the detox, the killing, and then adding these, whether it's IVs, whether it's SOTs, whether it's, um, whether it's technology that can help to detox you quicker in but then also understanding that it's not one week. So I go to these, I've been to these clinics that do like a week intensive or two week intensive. And then that's it. Like there's not a follow-up. And what I, what I realized this weekend is I, I need to create a, I see you for a month, get your body prepared, create an intensive for a week where we just really move the needle that way it allows you to move and then go six, eight, 10 months after that of continued long-term care to finish getting rid of infections and building the mitochondria. I'm like, I don't know if anyone else is quite doing it in that manner, having both of those things. And I think adding all those tools in UVBI, 10 pass. I mean, there are so many amazing tools out there. You know, you ask me like, what's, what's on the horizon. It's all of those. It's, it's figuring out a place that you can get those when you need them versus, um, you know, having to fly across the country to get each one of them. So Dr. Moritz, you've, you've had a journey where you witnessed during your childhood, your mother failed by the medical system because uh, they were treating symptoms. You yourself uh, were diagnosed with Lyme disease and had to go through your own journey with Lyme disease where you started to see that the, the, the functional community was the better, uh, better place to get treated. Where, so you were, and, and part of that, of course, is with your chiropractic treatment where you're trying to get to the root cause. And now we start to see you know, a development past that portion of your training where you're now looking to create very individualized care for bio-individual people that will not only put them in a position where they're being properly diagnosed and prehabilitated, where 
not only where, where they're going through a process of, of, of aiding their system and, and, and killing off the bugs, but now you want to make sure that there's a long-term maintenance program. So talk to us about how that whole, whole piece came together for you through your personal journey and the personal observations you made, first with your mom, then with yourself, and then with your patients. The, the journey of my life there. Um, let's condense 36 years in. So yeah, you're, you're really an old guy there, Dr. Moore, 36. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just it's, I guess something I enjoy is looking for patterns in the world, understanding and, and, and finding what's working. And then how do we either see it or replicate it? And when I, I looked at the modern medical model, that's that's where I came up with my opinion earlier. It's, it's an acute medical model designed by acute medical specialists that doesn't work as well or well at all for chronic clients. And then I got into functional medicine and functional medicine was a definite step forward, but there are a lot of people still doing symptomatic treatment. It's just with natural things. So there's less side effects. And there is more look to a, a root problem, but it's not all the way there. And then, and then the, the word root cause came to mind. And I was talking about root cause, you know, three, four, five years ago. What is the root cause of things? And I came up with a saying like outside of lifestyle management. So if you're starving yourself or, you know, doing something that's injuring yourself outside of those sorts of things, it's a toxin, an infection or a trauma that really creates illness that really gets people down. So how do we... How do we step past that? How do we evolve out of that and get to a place where we can remove those things? And now I'm in this new place where I'm seeing patterns. I'm like, so when people come into my clinic, a lot of them have trauma. They, they're, they're living in an environment that is not clean or toxic. So it's like, where do we start from? So can I create a checklist of, have you ruled all these things out so we can start in a healthy place? Can we make sure that there's not something still keeping you sick, like cavitations in your mouth, mold in your house, trauma in your environment, um, a lack of gut microbiome, too many antibiotics, too many medications, something of that nature. So how do we create that environment to which you can heal? And then how do we then fuel your body to make it strong enough to be able to heal and then how do we direct the immune system with the proper herbs to get it to heal? And how do we not miss out on something that is in you that is a root cause? Because it's not about one root cause, it's about root causes. How do we then stagger step through that to get it well? And I just start seeing this pattern emerge of how that was happening with people, which I've, I've commented on throughout this of what I'm seeing. And it, it, it's just stepping back for me, it, it's stepping back and just looking and listening and watching what people are going through and learning from each client every day. Cause I add stuff to my checklist all the time. Like I came home from this conference where I was teaching a little bit and I was also in masterminds with other docs that are in different niches, weight loss and thyroid and these other things. And I'm just saying there are so many patterns to health. Like, yes, I have to bio-individualize everything. And I can't get away from that, but what patterns are out there so I can teach other doctors to look and what patterns are out there so I can teach clients to help themselves? Because at the end of the day, it costs me a lot of money to go to all these conferences and travel. I mean, like I just told you before we got on here, I'm traveling three weekends this month to speak, but also to learn. And I'm not getting paid to speak, 
because I don't, I don't ask for it. I'm not looking for a, a retainer. I'm looking to educate and give people opportunity to heal and heal themselves, empower them to heal themselves. So how do I create a paradigm where this can be possible? And it's through finding these patterns that make sense, that empower people to look inside themselves to be able to get well on a day-to-day basis. And sure, I'm not saying don't find a doctor, don't get a doctor, like definitely get a doctor if you can. But I also want to empower each person within themselves to be educated and understand there are some basics that you need to rule out. And and you mentioned them earlier. You got to sleep enough, eat enough, get your clean food, water, air, hygiene product so that you have an opportunity to even be able to heal. Because if you're not doing that, it's really super hard to get well. So the last thing I wanted to talk to you about is uh, outcomes and and your your outcome-based process, right? Because the outcome that a traditional medical doctor, allopathic doctor, seems to be looking at is stopping symptoms, right? And that's why they're treating the acute symptoms. And then the outcome that it seems like a lot of functional medical doctors are, are looking to achieve is they're looking to find that root cause or those root causes, and they're trying to trying to get there. Whereas you are looking at outcome a little bit differently than anyone else we've heard define it before. And you had said that one of the reasons why uh, early, early on, one of the reasons why you don't want people on antibiotics for a long time is because your goal is to get yourself in balance, right? And, and recognize that there are many bacteria in your body and there are many viruses in your body. And in the end, what you're really supposed to be doing and why we don't use the dirty word cure is because the goal is to bring your body back to balance recognizing that you can't kill everything and you shouldn't kill everything. The goal should be to, to get to balance. So talk to, about, talk to us about how, you know, in this pattern recognition process you've gone through that you've come to a very different definition of what the outcome should be. And, 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 I get, and you certainly convinced me that using the word cure is probably not a healthy term. Yeah. So what I've ended up doing is I combined multiple assessment tools to create what I use in my clinic. So I have a roadmap and that roadmap has all the positives on it that you have, all the infections and and things that I pull out of your labs. Yes. I want to get those things down to a non-pathogenic, non-toxic level. I want to return your, your numbers back to a medically acceptable range. Of course, I want your symptoms to go away, but not just the ones that that are life-threatening, I I want you to present me with a list of symptoms. And unfortunately with Lyme, there could be a hundred. So we pick like the top 10 to start with. And by the end of it, I want you to get back to a very healthy level to where your subjective symptoms, whether that be anxiety, depression, numbness, uh, neuropathies, pains, fatigue, memory, you know, whatever that is, I want that to go back to a reasonable level. So if you're at a eight, when we start, I want to get you down to a one or two. And and the reason why I don't even say zero is you find me a person that has zero symptoms ever. They're always a zero. And, you know, I'm going to call BS, right? But let's get up to close to zero as possible. Let's, let's get it really, really close. And and we can do that. And it will be zero at times because I'm just looking for that average. So I look for your subjectives. I look for your active level of functionality in your day-to-day life. So if you tell me, yeah, doc, I feel great. And I'm like, okay, so you can work out three, four days a week for an hour. And, you know, I'm not saying you got to go do high intensity interval training, but you can work out a couple hours a day. You enjoy hanging out with your family or friends or whatever it is that your hobby is. You enjoy doing that. It brings you happiness. 
to be able to do that. And then sure, if you wake up at 6 a.m. and you're tired by 8 p.m., that's normal. That's not an unusual thing, but you're not dying in the middle of the day. You're you're you might get an afternoon yawn after eating a meal. Like, let's get you back to what should be your norm. So that's the subjective part. The labs are the objective part. Um, but I'm not looking for this. this perfection of no symptoms, all the labs test 100% absolutely negative. Otherwise you can't be well, because I have seen people who are hundred percent symptom free for an entire year. They rerun their labs. They notice that there's a marker of, you know, one band on a, a Lyme test or uh, yeast isn't perfect. And I'm like, and then they start feeling sick again because in their head, they're telling them, oh, I'm not well. And within reality is, is your body's always shifting. I'm not saying except being out of balance and, and having too much yeast. I'm saying your body's shifting. So just like your, your car, and, and I was always taught not to bring up that analogy, but I, I like it anyway. Just like your car, you have to tune it up. You have to continue to, to service it. So you have to continue to do a, a parasite cleanse every so often. You have to continue to eat fairly healthy. You have to make sure you're getting enough sleep because these are requirements that your high functioning human organism body requires. And it's always a little bit in flux. So add your subjective, your objective, and then your reality, find that center point, make sure you're feeling well, and let's go live our lives. I think that was really an awesome way to conclude. And we did promise you we were going to let you get to the gym on time. Uh, you're a little late to the gym and, and we thank you for taking the time. And, and again, I, one of the, the other observations I want to make, one of the final observations I'd like to make for our community is, is it really sucks that you got Lyme disease. And I'm really sorry that you've had to go on this journey, but I think the world is a better place because you did. And as people like you, young men and women who have dedicated their lives to making sure that other people didn't suffer the way that they did, which give me hope that we're going to be able to overcome this challenge. So thank you, Dr. Moore, for all the great work that you're doing for the community. And thank you for taking time away from your, your, uh, your family and, and your practice to share all of your brilliant knowledge with the uh, community here at Tick Bootcamp. You guys are more than welcome. I've loved it. If we can change one life, that's what matters. Thank you for listening to your Tick Bootcamp interview with Dr. Jabin Moore. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about redefining wellness and Dr. Jabin Moore, please visit his Instagram page at Dr. Jabin Moore. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of our Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created Tick by Blueprint. It has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to offer to the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of your Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.